Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way or way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Hey, Smart Mamas, and welcome to another episode of Scrub Caps and CP Cups. We are very excited to have Greta from Still Point Movement on the podcast to talk about our pelvic floors, what it is, and how we can re-educate it after some traumatic event like, say, a 10-pound baby coming out. So she has some great pointers for us. She also talks a lot about the fascia and you know, we've seen it in the operating room, but how it all functions together is different. And so, and she also talks about finding these muscles. So this is a great episode for everyone. And we thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. Welcome Greta to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast. We are so excited to have you on tonight. Can you tell our listeners how they know you, how you are seen on the internet? Sure. Um, So hi, I'm Greta. I uh, have a studio uh, here in California. It's a post-rehab Pilates studio, and I work mainly with women, and I do a lot of pelvic floor rehab and pelvic floor strengthening work. In my work, I've been doing this for about 10 years, and um, in doing this, I, I realized that a lot of women had sort of a, they had heard about the pelvic floor. They, they knew about the importance of the pelvic floor in terms of childbirth and in terms of sex, but they really had no idea how important the pelvic floor was for balance and stability and healthy, strong movement in your body. And so I actually created a, an online course, which is at my website, stillpointmovement.com. And in that course, I cover anatomy and physiology of the pelvic floor and its importance to healthy movement, what the purpose is of our pelvic floor in terms of stability. And I really created the video to add to the field of kind of women's health advocacy and try and allow women to learn the language of the medical community a little bit and be able to use the language of the medical community to identify where they need help and and how they can strengthen themselves and how they can feel good. Awesome. So, you know, Ellen just had a baby and I had a baby recently and we have a lot of listeners who've recently had babies or are pregnant right now. And so can you, one of the things that we had kind of talked about in our pre-podcast discussion is about re-educating the pelvic floor after it goes through a traumatic event like childbirth. Absolutely. So part of what I, what I, when I use the term re-educating, I don't like to use the word 
restore because I think that once you go through a traumatic experience and not trauma as in, you know, this, this terrible, horrible event, but, but physical sort of trauma to the muscles and, and to the fascia that you, you're not really going to ever kind of go back to something that you had before. And so by re-educating your pelvic floor, by reconnecting to the, your ability to lift and engage those muscles, you can kind of find your way back to a really supportive, strong core. And your core is really, really important to uh, overall mobility and balance and alignment and strength. So yeah, so as when you're a new mom or when you're 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 pregnant and you and you have a a baby in there, there's a lot of weight bearing down on the pelvic floor and the pelvic floor muscles have to deal with this increased weight and they get lengthened and um, the fascia gets thicker down there because the the fascia has been increasing in density to kind of counteract this heavy weight that's bearing down on the pelvic floor. And so finding healthy movement and finding strength and being able to engage the pelvic floor is is really important during pregnancy and, and after birth. I know this has been a hot topic in our group for as long as I can remember. People are always having babies. People are always like, what is normal? What is not normal? How can I fix this? So what would you say were or are signs that there's maybe an issue you could look further into? So like pelvic, there's there's a whole, whole huge range of, of what we term uh, like pelvic floor dysfunction. And that can range from incontinence. And there's two kind of main types of incontinence. There's stress urinary incontinence and urge urinary incontinence. And then pelvic floor dysfunction can range all the way to herniations. And I mean, we can talk about diastasis as a form of pelvic floor, diastasis recti, which is a separation of the rectus abdominis muscles that don't come all the way back together after childbirth. But we can talk about all of that as kind of a pelvic floor dysfunction that kind of go along with pelvic floor dysfunction. There's a, a, a whole wide gamut, but there's two thirds of all women experience some form of pelvic floor dysfunction. And of those two thirds, 75%, which is another two thirds of women who have experienced pelvic floor dysfunction, experience multiple symptoms. So it's, it's a broad range of, of symptoms that you, you might want to uh, talk about, or you might want to look at prolapse, all sorts. <laughs> right. Peeing when you jump on a trampoline with your kids. So- that's stress urinary <laughs> incontinence. That's exactly what that is. For sneezing, sneezing, coughing, jumping on a trampoline, running, laughing, laughing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's that stress urinary incontinence is caused by sort of a change in interabdominal pressure. So this kind of goes to the basic core of what the pelvic floor is is used for. Our bodies have kind of this this six-sided box or almost like a soda can in our core. And the abdominal muscles, the, the very deep most abdominals, the transversus abdominals, some of the back muscles, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor kind of create this space in our core or in our middle that is kind of under pressure. 
And when we increase the amount of pressure, if the pelvic floor has some weakness to it, then that, that increased in pressure will, will um, result in a little bit of incontinence. And so we can strengthen the pelvic floor to kind of counteract that. Like, I think that one of the messages that I really dislike about, about the pelvic floor is that you, you can't do anything about it. Like everybody in their 30s and 40s now, after you've had a kid, you're just going to pee a little. And that's, that's, while it's normal in our society, it doesn't have to be that way. You can do things to strengthen your pelvic floor and not do that. So that's kind of part of the messaging of that. So, you know, one of the things that everyone is taught in every like pre-childbirth class or going to the doctor or whatever is you know, do your Kegels, do your Kegels. And it's like, I don't even know if I'm doing them right. <laughs> and, and so it's just kind of like something that you're told to do, but it's like, how you never told like exactly how, or what it's supposed to do, or, or, you know, like, what are the other things in addition to that, that we can do? Right. So Kegels are a great way to strengthen the sort of architecture of the vagina and the lowest level of, of the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor has sort of three main levels. The bottom most level has sphincters, which are circular muscles that kind of, that can contract and for example, stop the flow of urine. And it also contains the architecture of the vagina. Then the second level up is sort of a fascial level. It has lots of fibrous tissue in it and it helps with, again, that same structure. The third level of the pelvic floor, so this is rising deeper up into your pelvis. The third level of the pelvic floor is actually where all of those pelvic floor muscles are. And there are two sort of main sets at the base of the pelvis and the rest of the pelvic floor muscles actually extend up into the pelvic bowl. So it creates this kind of bowl and that includes your hip muscles, it includes a muscle that actually attaches to the lumbar spine. And then it includes these, these base or, or the bottom most muscles. The two most important ones are the coccygeus and the levator ani. And both of those kind of create this trampoline that in conjunction with the diaphragm actually works to kind of maintain, again, that same interabdominal pressure. And so one of the main things that I talk about with my clients when they first come in and they're having a really hard time connecting to their pelvic floor and feeling their pelvic floor is I actually just start working with breath and, and start getting women to connect to their pelvic floor by, by really feeling the lift and lowering of the diaphragm and then finding that same lift and lowering in the pelvic floor. So that's usually where I start. That's very interesting. I guess it makes sense, but I never really thought about how they were connected. Yeah. Yeah. They're in fact, the, the, the muscles of the diaphragm extend down the spine and the muscles of the pelvic floor kind of reach or the pelvic bowl, I should say, really reach up and they actually touch at the back at the lumbar spine. And 60% of women who have pelvic floor dysfunction also present with lower back injuries. So it's, it's, hmm. it's interesting the way that kind of the pelvic floor really plays a role in sort of structural integrity of our, of our bodies. So we, for our listeners here, Crystal's on the podcast tonight. We're so excited to have her and Ellen is here kind of, she is here on a podcast via chat because she has unfortunately a stomach bug. 
So one of the things that she wanted to talk about, and this fits in great, is talking about preparing your body for birth. So we've kind of established this structure that exists, and then you're going to put a whole bunch of weight on top of it, and then you're going to shove a baby through it, and then it's going to eventually get reimagined into what it is afterwards. (laughs) But how can you prepare your body for this inevitable trauma that we had talked about? Well, the pelvic floor doesn't just work by itself. It has a lot of co-contractors. And so you can work on strengthening the co-contractors. So after your pelvic floor has a lot of damage to it, maybe, or it's been lengthened or stretched or just had an exhausting time trying to stretch and push a baby out, you can utilize co-contractors to kind of help you support your pelvic floor until it kind of comes back to strength and to mobility. And um, those two two of the main co-contractors are actually the inner thighs or the adductors and the lower core, which is called the transversus abdominis. And um, in trying to engage those muscles, you can support your pelvic floor. So before birth, you might want to do some things like bring your legs into parallel instead of letting your legs laterally rotate. So instead of letting yourself go duck feet, you know, pull your toes back towards center and try and lift up through your belly button and maybe stand there for a little while and, and contract those muscles and then relax into the pelvis and then do that a couple of times to kind of practice that lift of the co-contractors to support the pelvic floor. Another thing you can do is you can simply do some, some pelvic tilts. A lot of times when, you know, we're heavily pregnant, your, your core is being kind of pulled forward. You have this big weight in the front. And so you get a big curve in the back of the spine, a big lordosis in the back of the spine. And so you can kind of tilt your pelvis back and forth and use your inner thighs to kind of lift up as you're tilting your pelvis and just work those muscles so that they are used to, and you've practiced using the co-contractors so that after birth, you can find those co-contractors much easier. Very cool. So how soon, like, should someone be doing this? Is this like a third trimester thing or is this a like, First, second, and third trimester thing. Like, at what are there different like pelvic floor exercises that you should be doing at different trimesters, or is this something to just like really focus on as your you know in your third trimester and your belly is expanding and all that weight is is sitting there and getting heavier and heavier by the day or the minute? Sometimes it feels. (laughs) No, I think you could do it. I mean, I think you could do it lifelong before, during, after every, all the time. And, and you can increase the, the amount of work that your pelvic floor is doing. As you move into your second and third trimester, you have to be a little bit more careful about the pressure that you put on your abdomen, because when we put pressure on that kind of, you can think about it again, kind of like a six-sided box or a soda bottle, as we start to put more and more pressure into that space, then it pushes outward on our muscles and stretches our muscles out a lot. And so we we just, as we move into the second and third trimester, and then also that fourth trimester after birth, we want to be careful about how much pressure we put into that interabdominal space. And by pressure, I mean doing something like 
crunches or something where you're lifting both feet up off the ground. Those things may not be a good idea in the second, third, and, and fourth trimesters. But but still, you should be working those co-contractors and working your core the whole time, I think. Very cool. So, you know, we talked about preparing for childbirth. And then what would you recommend to someone who is maybe five or six years out after having a baby, didn't really do anything after having a baby and is now maybe dealing with some of that, like I can't jump on a trampoline. It's really hard to go running. Laughing suddenly makes me pee. (laughs) Like, What what do you recommend for that person to kind of start like this, you know, reimagining process over again? I mean, I think you can strengthen your pelvic floor muscles at any stage at any age. There's no limit. You don't have to like, oh my gosh, I didn't do it after childbirth. Now I'm, you know, now it's gone. (laughs) That doesn't, that doesn't happen. You still have those muscles. You're still going to be able to work those muscles and you can still strengthen them. I think that one thing that especially women who have had, have had children like a long time, like I, I have a 15 year old. And so I started working my pelvic floor just gently at the beginning. A lot of women, even five or six years, 15 years after childbirth, still don't have sort of the the awareness in their brains to be able to connect to those muscles. So starting again with the breath and really kind of like, where are these? How do I find them? How do I engage them? And then from there, you can, again, start to add more difficulty and start to find more lift and find more strength. Also, the pelvic floor, it's not by itself, right? It's within a body. And so simply working your body and working those muscle, you know, kind of fascial lines or or, um, uh, dynamins or, or all of the muscles in your body will help to work the pelvic floor too. So, I mean, I think that everybody should be exercising with uh, as safe as their body can do. And I think that focusing on awareness of the pelvic floor is probably the best place to start. So I know you mentioned the fascia um, when you were talking about layers. Can you explain what that is and, and why that's so important? Sure. So um, fascia is kind of something that we're just just now realizing is, is a really important part of, of our bodies. And you can kind of think about it like a soft skeleton within your body. It also has aspects of sensory um, awareness. And so fascia basically is kind of this syrupy fluid with a bunch of fibers in it. And it extends all throughout your body, almost like a body sock underneath your skin, but also penetrating deep into the muscles and even into, you know, connecting with individual cells. And so it's kind of this, this fluid, this thick syrupy fluid that transports proteins. It has lots of fibers and it has, it has cells in it called fibroblasts. And those cells can either secrete more fibers or take down, deconstruct fibers. And and when you put more fibers into a specific area, that area can become more tensile. And so it has the ability to transmit force. And so fascia not only is kind of a transport system and a sensory system, but it's also a, a force transmission system throughout the body. 
sort of, we started learning basically about it in the 1970s, but even into, you know, definitive definition and anatomical definition was only really agreed upon in 2013. So it's a really new field of study. And we're finding that more and more, it's just making a huge difference in terms of how we work the body and how we think about the body. So how do you tighten and tone the fascia if it's not a muscle? You just want to focus on the muscles around it? Or is there something that, you know, targets it specifically? Absolutely. Yeah, no, there is. So you can do, um, there's various different types of training that can improve either the elasticity of the fascia. So how it moves, that can be done by encouraging the fibroblasts to lay down more, you know, sort of short collagen fibers. And this is done through um, different types of plyometric training. So balance training, proprioceptive training, swinging loads, for example. So a lot of, there's kind of, you know, the trend is sort of kettlebell swinging and things like that. And a lot of that, as long as it's not overly weighted for your particular strength or for someone's particular strength and body type, that kind of swinging motion really helps to train fascia. So basically it's fascia responds to loading and force transmission, and it responds to that kind of swinging repetitive motion. And that's how, how we would train it in terms of fascia within the pelvic floor, it changes, right? So we've got, as we're, we're, we're growing, we're building the density of the fascia in the pelvic floor. Then when there's a baby, there's a weight. And so that weight pressing down encourages higher density within the pelvic floor. After that weight is gone, then the fascia and the pelvic floor is reconstructed based on how you move how the pelvic floor moves and how you move with your pelvic floor. One thing that that can help you retrain your fascia and your pelvic floor is just walking. The pelvis rotates as we walk and that rotation is movement through the pelvic floor. And that kind of side to side rotative movement is really good for helping the pelvic floor strengthen and be healthy. So I'm so curious now when people do vaginal rejuvenation. Do you know what, what is that target? Does it target the fascia or the muscles or both? It does. It actually targets the fascia. It in, It's supposed to encourage more collagen production in that area. And so it's supposed to, you're supposed to encourage density in specific areas. So it, it creates sort of, it doesn't strengthen the muscles what it does is it, it, it creates a thicker layer of fascia in that area. Okay. So I wonder if it's like all therapy for your vagina. I am going to be the one who is living under a rock and says, what is vaginal rejuvenation? And there's some listener out there who's trying to Google this right now. So you're welcome, whoever that is, but can you please be more specific? <laughs> Well, I think that it, it's a specific device that's inserted into the vagina that causes, I think it's a vibration or some sort of laser type of device that stimulates collagen production. Okay. It totally sounds like it's old therapy for your vagina. I'm going to have to dig into that. <laughs> <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of like the housewives and stuff, they all get the vaginal rejuvenation. It like tightens everything up. And I so feel like I would rather do that by strengthening muscles than just relying on fibrous tissue because your body is deconstructing and reconstructing that fibrous tissue all the time. So maybe you get this therapy, it encourages collagen for a little while, but your body can take down collagen just as easily as it can put it back up. So it's not a, it's not a, a permanent fix. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, right. And who has money to go spend it all on your vagina? Right. And who wants to do that anyways? I imagine it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's funny. So what are some, like you said, start with breath work. Is yoga good for pelvic floor strengthening or Pilates? Don't you offer Pilates? Are there, so, are there some Pilates that work best? Pilates is a large part of what I do, but, but some basic moves are like pelvic tilts, again, using those co-contractors. So squeezing a ball in between your, your, your knees, but that, that gets a little complicated because a lot of times, for example, if you're lying on your back and you have a ball between your knees, if you squeeze the ball, you're going to want to like tuck your tail underneath you and tip your pelvis. And once you start to do that, you start to work the sort of more external abdominal muscles and you don't actually reach the right muscles. So a lot of times, especially if people have pelvic floor dysfunction where they have one particular part of their pelvic floor that they really can't engage or they really can't feel, that's kind of what I do is to make sure that their pelvis and their bodies are in the correct alignment to be able to engage specific muscles. And and there's actually two parts to a a pelvic floor contraction. There's kind of the the strength of the contraction, how hard you can pull up on your pelvic floor. And then there's also the duration. So how long can you sustain that contraction? Some people have a good contraction. They can feel it. They can squeeze the pelvic floor, but then they don't know when they lose it. And so some people will squeeze and lose it right away and they don't feel that they've lost the contraction, you know? So it's a duration, but also a strength thing. I don't know if I know what that is. I mean, Kegels, I feel like are kind of obvious, but this is like deeper, more specific. I don't know that I've ever paid attention to engaging them, you know? Oh, do you want to do it right now? (laughs) Sure. Okay. 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 Sitting in a chair or, or sitting where you are with your feet on the ground Knees need to be in parallel. Okay, so bring your hands to the sides of your ribs, like kind of right next to your armpits. Okay, so we're going to take a big inhale, spread your ribs wide. And then as you exhale, imagine that your inner thighs are going to pull up towards your body. And you can feel kind of a deep lift in between your sits bones. That's a pelvic floor contraction. I need to like screenshot Crystal's face right now. (laughs) (laughs) Like everything but like my butt and my thighs and my everything. So Um, try and try and relax the glutes, but feel the the sits bones that you're sitting on. And then take a big deep inhale. And then exhale, imagine that your diaphragm is going to dome up into your ribs. You're narrowing your rib cage. And then you can feel kind of an engagement and a lift 
in between oh, yeah. two bones you're sitting on. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, oh. it's like one of those things that like you're like staring at the like like weird collage puzzle, and then all of a sudden you see the thing you're supposed to see in the middle of it. <laughs> I think I felt it, but everything else was engaged too. I mean, that that'll make you sore. Yeah. So like a lot of people will find like they need those co-contractors to be able to feel it. But after a while, your pelvic floor is working. It's working because if those co-contractors are working, then you know your pelvic floor is working. And after a while, you can kind of tease apart the different feelings between the glutes, the inner thighs, the core, and then that that lower pelvic floor. So I have a random question. Other than I guess the obvious, what do these muscles or what does your pelvic floor do with, when you have sex? Okay. Just like being a house. <laughs> Drive your so, car in too. <laughs> oh my God, that is amazing. <laughs> so there's there's like two two main layers of the pelvic floor that are right at the base of the pelvis. There's the coccygeus and the levator ani. The levator ani goes from kind of your tailbone to the front of your pelvis. There's kind of bones there called the pubic ramus. And so it goes front to back. And there's a small sort of sphincter where those two muscles kind of meet. And then the the coccygeus actually goes side to side. So it kind of makes an X. It goes from your left sits bone to your right pubic ramus and and then uh, right to left. And it it creates an X. So you've got a front to back and a side to side at the base of your pelvis. And the coccygeus has the same kind of hole right at the same point where the levator is. And there is kind of a sphincter. So there's a muscle that goes around that, the urethral sort of sphincter. And when you strengthen and when you lift your pelvic floor, you can create tension in those muscles. So you can adjust the size of that hole and the angle of it, depending on how you engage your pelvic floor. Hmm. And it creates creates different sensation (laughs) on the angle, obviously. Yeah. You guys know you were thinking it. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's science. It's okay to ask these questions. It's important. It's important also to know the language of it so that you can talk about it. Know what the muscles are called. We're about time to wrap up. Before we do that, Greta, do you want to, is there anything else you want to add before we do our wrap up? Anything um, you want to talk about that we didn't get to? Um, I just kind of maybe want to reiterate how important the pelvic floor is for spinal and core stability. I think that after childbirth and, and throughout your whole life from, you know, the time you're born until the time you die, you have this structure in your body that a lot of people don't pay attention to and they don't really realize the importance of it. But the pelvic floor is the base of your core. It helps to maintain stability of your spine. And so it's really important to pay attention to it and not to just be like, oh, well, you know, I have this dysfunction and it's fine. It's a little painful, but I'm going to be okay. It's important to be able to like advocate for yourself and, and talk about the pelvic floor in a way that isn't, in a way that you would talk about other muscles in your body, 
If you have an injury or if you have a dysfunction or if you have something that you're concerned about, you should, you should do something about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all I want to say about the pelvic floor. I think that women's health in particular time, tends to get overlooked in these kinds of ways. And I think that the more that women can use the right language and, and advocate for themselves, then the community as a whole will be better. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's so important. There's so many of us, you know, that have this issue. I think probably 90% of the mom group is people, you know, having incontinence. And it's just like, yeah, you have a baby and now you have to deal with it. But it's really nice to know that there's a way to get treated without having to have surgery. And, you know, there's a way, a, a more conservative approach. Yeah. And you can do it in your own home. There are all sorts of videos. I mean, I would say go to my website, but there are, there are tons of different programs that will help. And I'm not here to say one is like better than another, but being able to find your pelvic floor, being able to acknowledge when you need some help and go out and find the help. That's so important. And, and also realizing that the pelvic floor, like it, if you're a mom and you have like, oh God, my lower back feels weak. Maybe you should think about strengthening your pelvic floor. That might help you to maintain integrity so that when you're, you know, when your babies are 10 years old or 15 in my case, and you blow out your back and you think, oh no, what am I doing? Like, I wish I would have done this sooner. That doesn't have to happen. You can, you can work on it. <laughs> so what is like a reasonable timeline, like let's say someone is considering surgery or like really struggling with their pelvic floor, how long does it take to re-educate those muscles and kind of get back to a baseline again? Right. So finding muscular strength, it takes about six weeks to be able to feel a difference in any kind of muscle group. Excuse me, the pelvic floor muscles in particular are a certain type of muscle called slow twitch, which means they're really meant for stability and slow, sustained uh, engagement. And so those kinds of muscles take a little longer to strengthen. So I would say up to eight weeks to strengthen the muscles. However, we talked a lot about fascia and the pelvic floor, and that is part of recovery from childbirth, this kind of rebuilding all of that fascia. You can think about it like, scaffolding, right? It's down there. And then when you have a baby, all that scaffolding is kind of torn apart. And so rebuilding all that scaffolding takes time as well. And that can take from, I mean, nine months up to 24 months, depending on how much you move your body and how much you're, you're using your pelvic floor. So I think eight weeks to start finding strength, of course, after you've been cleared by your doctor, eight weeks to start finding some strength, engagement, awareness of the pelvic floor, but give yourself some time to rebuild because it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight and, and try different kinds of movement too, not just the same work over and over. Excellent. Well, thank you. And if our listeners wanted to connect with you and check out the course that you had mentioned, where can they find that? So I just wanted to say that if you're interested in further information about fascia and how it works, where it is in your body and what it's made of, I'm going to be having a new course come out on my website, stillpointmovement.com, and it'll probably be out in November. 
Oh, great. Excellent. We'll definitely check that out. Yeah. So interesting. It's kind of a hot topic right now. Everybody's swinging kettleballs and they don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be happy to talk with anybody about any kinds of help that they might need with strengthening not just their pelvic floor, but but their whole bodies. And if they wanted to find me on Instagram, I'm at still point as in like a dot, still point movement is my Instagram. Excellent. And are you on Facebook as well? I'm not on Facebook. (laughs) Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and our audience. I know that we've all been very enlightened and Ellen was even able to participate via chat on our podcast. (laughs) So we wish her well. And thank you again, Greta. We really appreciate it. That is all for episode of Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups tonight. We've got, let me see if I can get all of these right. We've got... Crystal at STL underscore injector. You've got Ellen at Ellen Lobletta. You can find me on Instagram at Ms. Lacey Lee. And then our podcast is at Hey Smart Mamas on Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook on at Scrub Cats and Sippy Cups. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Greta. This has been very educational. And um, I've just really enjoyed the wisdom you shared with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was really great. Thank you so much, Greta. You're very welcome.